disposed of. It's estimated that 90% of uh, unborn children with Down syndrome are now aborted. We want people who are strong. We don't want people who are weak. So I want to ask a question this morning. What do you think of weakness? What do you think of your own weakness? How do you think about your children's weakness? Do you view weakness as a liability? Or do you view it as a potential strength? And how does God think about all that? All right, so uh, let's read. We are in the book of Judges. We are in chapter 7. So I'll start reading in verse 1. This is God's word. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Puro, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold... I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me 
Then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. <clears throat> so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Melah by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Pray with me. Father in heaven, um, we stand before your word as weak people. You need help in our lives and need help understanding your word uh, and, and need you to change us quite honestly. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give us understanding uh, and would you change us and equip us by your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to get at this question this morning of, of weakness and how God views our weakness, I want us to, to think about three questions from this text. Uh, one, who does God save? Secondly, who does God use? And then thirdly, how does God use them? Who does God save? Who does God use? And then how does he use them? First of all, who does God save? Two weeks ago, we started looking at the life of Gideon. And we saw that Gideon was from a family of idolaters. Uh, that Gideon, when we first met him, was fearful and that he was hiding, and yet God pursued him. And even as God pursued him, Gideon resisted. Gideon said, I'm not good enough to do what you want me to do. Gideon said, I don't really get you, God. I don't understand, understand why we're having to suffer if you're really our God. And so Gideon resisted God's pursuit, but God continued after him and eventually turns Gideon, transforms Gideon, into a man who worships the living God. A, a man who is now willing to repent of his idolatries, to tear down his idols, and to follow God as God leads him. And we said before, as we looked at this, that it really is a beautiful picture of the story of the Bible. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. The whole Bible is about a, a God who pursues people, who pursues fearful, resisting Idolaters like you and me, and transforms us into people who actually worship Him. The story of the Bible is not about God pursuing healthy people, it's about God pursuing spiritually sick people. The message of the gospel is not that the healthy people get in and the sick people stay out. The message of the gospel is that the spiritually sick people who realize their sickness 
and need of a Savior and run to Jesus Christ are the ones who get in. The gospel is not the good get in and the bad are left out. Instead, the gospel says the prideful are left out and those who humble themselves before Jesus Christ, admitting how simple and flawed they are, but receiving the forgiveness that is found in Christ are the ones who are admitted in the kingdom of heaven. Who does God save? He saves people like Gideon. He saves people like you and me. Well, the next question then is, well, who does God use? And what I mean by that is, who does God use to accomplish his purposes in the world? Who does God use to accomplish his purposes in the world? Well, who does he use in the passage we just read? He uses Gideon, right? He, he uses Gideon. God uses weak, fearful, resisting Gideon to accomplish his, to accomplish his purposes. Now, if you're paying attention, you're saying, why are you essentially making the same point twice? All right? Didn't, didn't you just say that? Couldn't you have lumped all of those things into one point and saved us some time here? God, God saves people, and God uses those same people. Here's, here's why I'm making the point twice. I think that, that many of us who are believers understand that first point. We understand that our salvation is dependent totally on what Jesus Christ has done. And we are, we are looking to him and we are, we are resting in him. But while we understand that, we think that our usefulness in the kingdom of God depends on me. It depends on me. And so suddenly I go from depending on Jesus for my salvation to depending on me for whether or not I'm going to be useful to God and useful in his kingdom. But in the story we just read, God is intentionally making his people weak. He's intentionally making his people weak. He twice cuts down the number of troops that he's going to give Gideon to send with him into battle. And he's doing this to, to and we'll get back to this in a minute, but he's doing this to help the people of Israel to see that salvation comes from God and not from them. That salvation comes from God's resources and not from their own resources and strength. Victory comes from God. Victory from, for the battle comes from God's strength and not from our strength. And so then the question is, who does God use to plant churches? Who does God use to bring about revivals? Who does God use to change campuses and cities and workplaces? God uses people who realize that victory in the battle comes not from their strength, but it comes from God's strength in spite of their weakness. God uses weak people to accomplish his purposes. Uh, in the Lego movie, I've been one of the illustrations of the Lego movie, in the Lego movie, the hero of the movie, and, and if you feel like I'm giving something away, I'm sorry, but the hero's in it, okay? You can probably tell that from the trailers. The, the, hero, of the, the hero of the movie is this little guy named Emmett. And Emmett is described as an ordinary, average, everyday guy. He is not special, right? And they say this over and over again. He is not special. He's not a master builder. He's just kind of this regular dude. Even when he has an idea, he's told, that's the dumbest idea ever. Why are you even thinking for yourself? You're not 
special. We don't need your input. And yet, this is the person that's the hero of the movie. This is the person that's used to, to bring about success. In God's economy, if you think you've got what it takes to accomplish God's purposes, then you're missing exactly what it takes to accomplish God's purposes. If you think you have what it takes to accomplish God's purposes, then you don't have what it takes to accomplish God's purposes. And if you think you don't have what it takes to accomplish God's purposes, then maybe you're just the person who has what it takes to accomplish God's purposes in the world. Well, how does, how does God do this? He uses these weak people how does he do this? How does he use weak people to accomplish his purposes in the world? I'll say three things real quick, and then we'll make some, some hopefully practical application. Uh, first of all, God calls weak people to step out in faith and to do hard things. Think about Gideon. Don't you, can't you imagine that sending 12,000 troops home was hard? Like, are you, you kidding me? Really? You want me to send them home? And then he has to turn around and he has to send another 9,700 troops home as well. And then he has to go down into the enemy camp that's described as this vast multitude at night to check things out. All right, none of this was easy, but God is calling his servant to step out on faith and to do something hard. God knows that it's hard for them, and so he gives them this reassurance. He tells them here in verse 10, look, if you're afraid to go down there by yourself, then take your servant with you to go along with you into the camp. And then they get in the camp, and there's this weird scene where these two Midianites, one of them's had a dream, and he's explained it to the other one, and he said, look, this, this loaf of Wonder Bread came through, and it, it wiped out the tent. And the other one says, oh, what that means is, is that Gideon is going to come, and Gideon's sword is going to wipe out Midianites. God's going to give Gideon the victory. And so God reassures Gideon through this. And then verse 15, Gideon in response to this worships, and then he rallies the troops, and he goes and he attacks and defeats the Midianites. You know, some of us right now, maybe many of us, we feel like God is kind of pushing us, calling us to do something. And it may be a hard something. And all we can do is, we're sensing that we need to do this, all we can do is think about our weakness. And we're kind of locked in on our weakness. We, we, we can't see God's strength because the only thing in focus for us is our weakness. And yet God is calling us in our weakness to step out in faith and to obey him and to do something hard. He may be calling you to, to meet that neighbor that that's really hard for you to talk to, to meet that neighbor and to invite them over for soup or for dinner or something. He may be calling you to, to practice hospitality and call somebody else at grace and reach out to them and get to know them. He may be calling you to receive help when you are called, to ask for help, to admit that you're weak instead of trying to put on the charade that you're strong and I have it together and I don't need help, but isn't that the gospel that we need? Help, but it's so hard for us to ask. He may be calling you to ask for help. Jesus may be calling you to simply share the gospel with somebody, and that person's been on your mind, uh, but you've been hesitant to do it, or to invite somebody to church. 
Maybe he's calling you to confess sin to a spouse that you know is going to be brutal when you confess it, but you know you've got to do it. Maybe he's calling you as a parent to have a hard conversation with one of your children. Maybe, husbands, he's calling you to step up and be the spiritual leader of your family. Might even be calling some of us to quit our jobs because the work that we do has become an idol to us and it's killing our family in the meantime. He's calling us to do hard things. It may be something simple and seemingly small, but it might, he might as well be calling us to take 300 men and battle a multitude of Midianites because we're stuck and we're afraid and we don't want to do it. We're scared to do it. We're trapped in our own fears. We're trapped in our own insecurities. We're trapped in our own weakness. And if you're there, I'd hazard to guess that not only do you feel stuck, but God doesn't seem very real to you either. I'm not saying that you don't believe in God intellectually, but I would wager that you have no real sense of his love or his presence. And Christianity probably feels more like a burden to you than a source of joy and real power in your life. Why do those two things go hand in hand so often? Why does our failure to step out in faith and do hard things go hand in hand with our lacking real joy in our Christian walk? Uh, Tim Keller wrote this. He said, we can find that we lack assurance of God's presence with us and power for us because we never take a risk and do something bold in obedience to him. We never step out in faith and find him there. We never step out in faith and find him there. Uh, another writer put it like this. He said, we're kind of like these, like a caged animal, and somebody's trying to slowly get it to come out of the cage. You're like, I don't know if I want to get it out there or not. He said, some Christians stay cooped up for years because we are so unwilling to move from an intellectual acceptance of God's truth into a sharp-edged daily experience of putting that faith into practice by obedience. Our, our fear and our failure to step out in obedience and to do what God is calling us to do can actually act like a wall blocking us from having real intimacy with God. Because we're back here where we're kind of relying on ourselves and we're not really having to put our faith in God. But when we step out, we have to embrace him and trust him. So, so how do we move forward then? If we're in this position of, of fear, uh, if we're in this position of, of, of insecurity, we have to keep hearing God's words of assurance to us, don't we? That's one of the reasons we gather week by week in worship and hear the promises of the gospel repeated to us. That's why we have to hear the same thing over and over again. That's why we sing these hymns reminding us of who God is. That's why we'll come to the table in a few minutes to hear the gospel uh, proclaimed to us in sacraments once again. We have to be encouraged by other believers. Uh, we have to find our pure up, like Gideon, to, to go with us and to help us to do, encourage us as we're trying to do those hard things. 
that God is calling us to do. We have to tell each other, go, go on, go. God's not going to leave you stranded in the Midianite camp. Gideon does some hard thing here. He goes into the camp in the middle of the night. He takes Pure with him. He gets the reassurance that God is really with him. And then he goes and he worships. And then he does a really hard thing. He goes into battle against the Midianites. And I want to hopefully gently suggest here that one of the reasons that we're not able to do the really hard things is that because these assurances of the, <coughs> excuse me, of the gospel, that our sins are forgiven, uh, that eternal life is certain, that we are now God's sons and daughters, that we have been given the Holy Spirit, that those are just so many words kind of floating around in our heads. And they haven't really penetrated into our hearts so that we really worship and they're excited and trust God. Uh, so we're still holding on to other things. Because we haven't been led to worship God and to hold on to Him. We're still holding on to other things to comfort us, to bring us security, to give us our identity. Because at the end of the day, those things are our real Jesus. Those things are our real Jesus. Those are the things that keep us safe. Those are the things that make me feel okay about me. Those are the things that help me maintain my comfort. And as long as we hold on to those things, as long as we're grasping them, we can't hold on to Jesus. And we won't know intimacy with him because we're so busy being intimate with other things. A friend of mine put it this way, he told the story. You guys know when, when you go, when, we all probably do this, when you go to the grocery store or Walmart or wherever, and you got 10 of those little plastic bags that have like two things each in them, right? That they load you up with. And you've got them in the back of the, the, back of the car, and you're going taking them into the kitchen. And it doesn't matter if it's from like, you know, here to a, across the building that you've got to walk. You are going to take all of them at once, right? Or if it's like here to here, I can't make 10 trips or two feet. I'm going to take all of those bags at once, right? And so we take all those bags and we lock them into the kitchen. Well, imagine you're, you walk into the kitchen and your two-year-old daughter, two-year-old son, whoever is standing there, and they want to hug. And you're like, I, I can't help you right now. I'm trying not to kill myself. You have to let go of all those bags to embrace your child. And I want to say that we have to let go of all these things that we're finding our security in, that we're finding our comfort in, so that we can actually embrace Jesus Christ. So that we can actually, we have to let go of, of these other fake Jesuses in order to grab hold of the true Jesus. But setting those bags down is hard, right? Because we've been clinging to those things for our security our, our entire lives. And so again, we've got to hear the gospel over and over. And we've got to pray for one another. We've got to actually speak the gospel to one another and pray the gospel into one another's hearts. Because it doesn't just penetrate by itself. That's a Holy Spirit thing that has to drive this into our hearts. And so we have to pray that into each other's hearts so that we can step out of these cages of fear that we live in and step out on faith and do the hard thing 
and actually find that Jesus is a sufficient Savior and we don't have to hold on to all these things that we've been holding on to. Why does God operate this way? Why does he use us in our weakness? Why does he call us to put down these things that help us to hide our weakness? Why does he work that way? Uh, verse 2 says this, chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God works through your weakness and my weakness because that's the best way he has in making his glory known. He works through our weakness because he shows, shows us and everybody else that salvation is from him and not from us. He works through our weakness so that we can't boast in ourselves. We can only boast in him. And I think he works that way, sometimes cutting away painfully the very things that we're finding our strength in to make us lean into him and to receive him and to embrace him and to actually know intimacy with him. Uh, J.I. Packer is probably one of the most uh, well-known Christian authors of the last 75 years. And he's getting up in age now, and he's just written a book. I think he's in his mid-80s. He's written a book about weakness. And I put a video clip of what I'm about to read on, our, on the Facebook page, and I encourage you to actually go watch it. It's much more powerful. I'll maybe watch it sometime this afternoon. But listen to what he says in this, in this clip. In our society, strength, or at least imagined strength, is applauded. And weakness is thought of as a defect. It means that you miss the best in life. From the age of seven, I felt weak. I was chased out into the street by a fellow student at the school I was attending. I collided with a truck. As you would expect, the truck got the better of the exchange. They were afraid that my brain might have suffered as a result of the accident. I didn't use the word weak in those days to describe how I was feeling about myself, but that is the word that catches the feeling. I can still remember those feelings. Well, this is Packer's testimony to the reality of weakness. I have now reached the point in life where inevitably I am wearing out physically. I can't have many more years to go. And as I am conscious of wearing out physically, I find myself feeling weak. So I'm back to the theme of weakness. Because what has happened to me and what is happening to me now as an old man whose body is wearing, because that's what's happening to me now as an old man whose body is wearing out. God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. Oh, we may have that idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us one way or another, and it will be good for us, and we'll give him glory when he does. Then he quotes the Apostle Paul, Lest I should be puffed up because of the abundance of revelations that God had given me, I was given a thorn in the flesh. The Lord spoke to me, and this is what, this is what he said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
The message for us this morning, some of us need to be careful about leaning into our own strength instead of leaning into the strength of Jesus. Others of us need to quit trying to hide our weaknesses. We need to step out of faith and let go of the saviors that we cling to to match those weaknesses and step out of faith and actually trust Jesus Christ. Others of us just need to know that in spite of everything, in spite of all of your weakness, you're loved by God. And he can use you, even you, in your weakness and through your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I want to invite everybody this morning to quit running from your weakness and to embrace your weakness so that you can know the embrace of Jesus Christ. You pray for us. Father, this is uh, counterintuitive to us. We want to be strong and we want to you're strong. So I just ask that you help us to be honest about our weakness. Some of us, we need to see it. Uh, some of us, we need to quit trying to cover it up and simply step out of faith and trust you in our weakness. God, help us to see that your grace is sufficient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.